If you've been living under a rock, you may not have heard about a podcast about our fair city of Reno. And Jeanette Damon with the Reno Gazette Journal worked with the USA Today's City podcast team to create the city's second season, which is focused on Reno. The city's six episodes concluded just before Thanksgiving, but there is more to the story, including a soon-to-be-released bonus episode. The City Podcast covers Reno City Government's battle against a strip club close to downtown. Tabitha Mueller and I sat down with Anjanette to discuss the podcast and to find out what is next. I'm Bob Conrad, and this is the This is Reno Podcast. Here's Tabitha. Okay, so we're here today with Anjanette Damon. Um, Anjanette, you want to say a little bit about yourself? Hi, yeah, I'm Anjanette, and I write for the Reno Gazette Journal. I've been a local journalist for more than two decades now. Um, And most recently, I've focused on project and investigative work, um, government watchdog work, cover the Reno City Council and some state government and county government stuff. All important things. Local government is very undercovered, I think. Yeah, I mean, I covered national politics and state politics for a lot lot of years, and it just got too removed, I think, from affecting change and affecting people's lives and local politics does that yeah and and speaking of local politics so you're you guys just came out with your podcast the city and your last episode is airing november 26th is is that right on tuesday whatever that day is yeah (laughs) (laughs) and it's and like that's what we're going to be talking about today primarily but how do you feel now that the last episode is coming out and your your work is being listened to not just at a local scale here but nationally I know. It's been pretty exciting. It's been pretty overwhelming, the response, um, particularly here in the local community. I was a little worried about how that was going to go. It's a very local story, but it's being told for a national audience. And if you've lived in Reno for any amount of time, you know, we get a little sensitive, a little defensive of our community and how we're portrayed in the national press. And so I was... Prickly is the word. Yes. yes. So I was I was ready for that to happen. And, you know, there's been a little bit of it, but this story has just engaged people in such a strong way. Um, and nationally, it's interesting enough to hold people's attention to. So it's been pretty cool. And how did you guys select Reno? And why, why did you decide to focus on the strip clubs? Mm-hmm. So the podcast is called The City, and it was created by um, Robin Amer, who had this idea. She wanted to create a podcast that focused on how power works in American cities. Um, and she was able to sell that concept to the USA Today Network or USA Today. Um, so the idea is each season to focus on a different city. Season one was focused on Chicago, where Robin is from. Um, and then she had a, a pitch process for all of the different communities that are part of the USA Today Network work to pitch their best story that kind of fell within these confines of how power works in American cities. And the pitch process was happening right as the strip club fight was really starting to heat up. Um, it was like this crazy, the city council is trying to close private businesses and what? There's this secret private investigator report and, you know, why do we want to get rid of strip clubs? So this story kind of really captured, I think, the imagination and the attention of people in Reno. And it was good. And I knew there was more to dig into. So we pitched it. Um, we competed with a couple of other cities. I don't remember which one's now off the top of my head, but Robin picked us. Awesome. And when you were sort of 
pitching that and coming up with the idea, you in the podcast don't just stick to strip clubs. You also went to Tesla's Gigafactory. Was that something you expected going into the process or... Yeah, because this fight over the strip clubs, it, it wasn't just a fight over strip clubs. It was a fight over what kind of a city Reno should be. Or our, at least that's our the, identity, right? Our identity. That's yeah. yeah, that's the story we wanted to tell. It um so it, it you know, old Reno, which might be represented by the strip clubs, some would argue, and new Reno, which I would argue Tesla is probably its uh, kind of crown jewel and biggest um, actor or player on that stage. Um, and so we wanted to tell, this, you know, the strip club fight was like this little microcosm of that larger battle that was playing out in the community. And correct me if I'm wrong, but in the podcast, I believe you said that you had never been in a strip club before reporting on the story. I've never been in a Reno strip club. Okay, 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 good. Wow, I kind of <laughs> want to hear that story at some point. I have. Oh, okay. You guys, you got secrets on it me. Was it for I, work? I went club? along, it was not for work. I And I went along willingly, but it was not my idea, and I thoroughly did not enjoy it. And okay. I won't say which club, but it, I'll just say it's familiar to everybody in this room. It. I found the whole environment really creepy and weird. Totally not my thing. Yeah. I mean, with all due respect to people who work there, it's not really my thing either. And, the, you know, if we want to get into that story now, the first time that I went, you know, I, like, wasn't really sure where to look, if I'm going to be perfectly frank. Like, you know, we did this little kind of stealth. Um, Robin Namer was in town and um, one of our reporters that worked on season one, and we did this, like, stealth visit to the strip club. We thought, we just, I've never been in a Reno strip club. They obviously hadn't. We wanted to, like, see for ourselves what this was like so we went <laughs> we were total strip club neophytes so we show up right at seven o'clock when the strip club opens and the door girl's like uh you can come in but there's no dancers here like, <laughs> like it doesn't start until much later <laughs> like oh oh yeah uh, uh okay yeah we'll be back oh my gosh so embarrassing so we came back at 10 and and hung out i had a corona and robin had a whiskey and we hung out for 20 minutes half hour maybe and then left. Yeah. <laughs> so and and your your interviews are so intimate with the with the dancers at these strip clubs. And I feel like you got to know them really well. Has that changed your perception of strip clubs and the workers there? Or how do you think that you, the way you view them has changed? That's a good question. Um I hadn't really thought through what my perception of a stripper would would be. I really hadn't thought about it very much, um, but I knew part of um, this pot long form narrative was to really spend a lot of time with each of the characters that um, became part of our our story. Um, and there's so much, you know, stripping and strip clubs are kind of shrouded in secrecy almost. There's a stigma attached. Um, a lot of the dancers I talked to, um, some of them would say, yeah, I'll give you my name. And then the more they talk, they're like, I don't know if I really want my name used. So we use stage names to help protect their their privacy. But some of that stigma, I think, really contributes to this atmosphere that is not exactly a safe place for dancers all the time. Um but, you know, they are they are people living and working in this community. They work a difficult job. Um, there are a lot of, you know, they can make a lot of money, but they have to put up with a lot. Right. And, and you almost come out in defense of the strippers, too. I don't want to give any spoilers away for people that haven't seen the, the, or listened to the latest episode. But you almost say this is 
kind of the strippers are getting the worst end of the deal in terms of what's happening with the strip clubs. Well, yeah, these are people that are just, you know, trying to earn a living. They're living in Reno. In some cases, they're living and working in Reno. Some are driving from California to earn a living to support their families. And they weren't really being listened to in any kind of serious way um, in the public forum. A lot of them would get up and talk before city council, um, but I didn't really see that kind of connection or, or them being viewed as a whole person with a stake in this. And, you know, the fight's happening like above their heads, right? Above a lot of our heads where, you know, you have elected politicians, you have developers, you have strip club owners, all who have, you know, a lot of money and a lot of power, different people who have the ears of the decision makers. And the dancers weren't really on that level, but their lives were being affected. You know, if the strip clubs closed, that would really suck for the Kashmiris. They make a lot of money off those clubs. But for a dancer, that's like... That's their livelihood. Entire livelihood. And working this story, you worked from primarily an audio based medium versus a print medium, which is what you've grown up with. I was wondering if you wanted to just talk about that a little bit, the transition from print to audio, which can I think can be a bit jarring. I mean, the, the audio gathering process was a lot of fun. I mean, I just love walking around with a microphone because you can capture so much that is so difficult to impart in the written word. And the stuff that people would say in the microphones is just like, oh, my gosh, did you just <laughs> say that into my microphone? Do you realize that I'm recording? Um, can I ask a question about that? Because yeah. to me, what, well, there was a couple really striking. I, I'm not caught up, so I confess I'm not up to date. But there were a couple really striking statements to me that I heard. One was from the the guy from Edon as you were driving around with him where I think you you mentioned you were like literally driving through almost like a sea of homeless people by the bus depot probably or something like that. And he says, yeah, we don't really have a homeless problem here. Yeah, that was a really striking moment for me too. And it, it really went to the heart of one of the themes that we um, tried to really play on in this podcast, and that's perception versus reality. A lot of this old Reno fight, particularly the fight being waged by Mike Kazmierski of Edon, was against an image or a perception of what the city was. Well, and even when you were driving around viewing it, you know, taking the tour as maybe people from outside investors were taking it, um, I can't remember what his name was, but he said, I don't normally show people this part of Reno on this tour. We don't drive past here. They won't go past the strip club, right? Yeah. And so I asked him, well, do you go past the homeless shelter? Because we were driving past the homeless shelter. And, you know, that's when he kind of dodged my question a little bit. He's like, you know, we just don't have a homeless problem in, in Reno. You know, I don't know if he meant compared to other cities or what. But to say that, right, is you're being confr- confronted by the reality of you know, the homeless issue that we do have here, that, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people who are living on the streets or in tents or in the shelter or in, you know, thousands of people in the weekly motels. Yeah. Um, that was difficult to hear. Yeah. Did you ever have anyone that had said something on the record that wanted to redact their statement or that gave no. you a bit of a hard time? <laughs> no, not really. And one question I had kind of along the same vein is you have this part of one of the episodes you have um audio footage of the policeman talking with one of the dancers and sort of getting trying he was undercover at the time how did you get that footage prior like while it's going on and then actually when he's walking outside and talking with his um talking back with the reno police department yeah i know that was the beauty of that the way i think we wrote that episode is it feels like we're there with a the microphone we weren't that was actually undercover wire tape that we obtained from the reno police department um, through a public records request um, and we have a really gifted 
audio engineer, Hannes Brown, who did the original scoring and composing of the music in our series. Um, and he was able to, it, it's terrible to listen to that undercover wiretape. It's just not very good quality. And he was able to really clean it up so you can hear these voices in such a more pristine manner. It was really pretty exciting. And when you were kind of doing this more investigative work, how how did that differ from what you had maybe previously done with the paper? Because I know that you tend to be a little bit of an investigative reporter as well as sort of a local um, city reporter as well. I mean, there were a lot of similarities. There's a lot of making use of the public records law and obtaining as many documents as I can. And there was a lot of spending time with the human beings affected by the problem that I was investigating. Um, this This was so much more focused. I spent almost two years reporting this, which is not a luxury I've ever been given in my career. So that was definitely a difference just to be able to focus. I mean, I did a couple other stories here and there, but really the bulk of my time was on this story and being able to just spend a lot of time with the strip club owners, with the dancers, with the people who live in the Ponderosa, um, at the Gigafactory, with people who work in the Gigafactory. Um, so that was that was really great. And we wouldn't have had such a, I think, great product in the end if I hadn't been given that time. What has the response been like to date? It's been, I mean, pretty overwhelmingly positive, which we were speaking a little bit earlier. I was, you know, ready for more of a negative response or a negative response from some quarters. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's people who think it's boring or people that don't think it's fair or, um, but generally, the, the community has been so excited by it. Like, I, you see all over social media, or I get notes or calls, you know, I can't wait till Tuesday when the next episode drops. Um, and it's engaging a very different audience than your typical newspaper audience, which is important um, for local journalism in the community, I think, to engage as many different kinds of people as we can. Um, so that's been great. Got a write-up in The New Yorker, which was unexpected. Pretty cool. And, and has there been any negative pushback? Locally or? Or from anyone that you've worked with or interviewed? No, no, not yet. Um, I will say that Tesla, if you listen to episode four, we do a deep dive into what it's like to work in the Gigafactory. And it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows at the factory. Um, I have not heard from them since our episode has been released. But when my questioning started turning to towards, towards more of those investigative findings, um, they weren't happy with that and pushed back quite a bit. Um, I did have a conversation with Jamie Kashmiri yesterday, and he's, oh, no, I haven't I haven't listened to it, and I don't think Emmy has either. Um, but he knew some things about it that made me question whether or not that was the case. Um, what do you mean by that? Expand on that, please. <laughs> Sorry, I'm curious. Um, I don't know. That might be what he said might be coming out. Oh, oh we okay. have We have maybe... Oh. We I we have six episodes and like we talked about before it's coming to an end but we may have a bonus episode in the can coming. A so. lawsuit was just filed, mm-hmm. and it really ties into the podcast. Yep, I've read through that po- or that lawsuit. Um, I wrote uh, um, that lawsuit came out after we had episode five. Can which we is, for our listeners? Can we talk sure. about what the lawsuit is? Sorry. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll get to that. Episode five is the episode that we um, focused on what the working conditions are in the, in the clubs. And that lawsuit came out after that episode was um, put to bed. But it 
deals directly with what the working conditions are in the club. A bartender who works um, for the Spice Houses has sued um, the Kashmiri brothers um, for a hostile work environment and uh, sexual harassment. Um, I did write a story. I've I've dug I've dug into that lawsuit, and you might be hearing more about that in the future. Yeah. Oh, okay. It was well. I, I it's it was filed by a guy who does a lot of um, workplace and um, hostile suits. workplace harassment type lawsuits. Who was actually the same attorney that filed the lawsuit on behalf of the plaintiffs, the former city employees that was recently settled as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the women who. Uh, who accused former city manager Andrew Klinger of sexual harassment and a hostile work, creating a hostile work environment. Mm-hmm. And thinking about the real world impacts of what your podcast has, where where do you stand right now thinking about this two years of work that you've done, everything's being released? Yeah, I mean, you look at it and the strip club fight is over. A lot of people who live here already know what that fight was about. Um, And so when you go back and tell a story that's kind of already happened, you wonder, well, what kind of an impact can you have? But I'll say that the most, um, to me, heartwarming feedback that I've gotten from people, at least in the community, you know, I had one woman tweet at me like, I am listening to this story and it has, you know, made me want to get involved in my local government and paying attention to what businesses are doing in this community. Um, I see people posting it on social media like, please listen to this podcast so we can have a conversation about it. And that I, that's just the highest praise, I think, that that it can reach people in such a way that they want to become more involved in their community because that's the whole purpose, I think, of, of journalism. So the other person that I notice, and this person seems to have a pattern of not representing himself well when he's interviewed by the news media's city attorney, Carl Hall. His statements were pretty just obtuse, I guess. I mean, it was just yeah. strange, his response in, in, yeah. in the podcast. A, about wasn't he the one that launched that top secret undercover <laughs> <laughs> private investigator right and 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 a lot of people cuz i think i did a story on that a while back too when that happened and people were just like this thing is a joke this this uh report well a he tried to keep it quiet which is stupid you can't do that on the taxpayer dimes and i believe it was jenny breckus that publicly made it known that was and such an like, amazing moment. In and city then, like Council. two days later, the city manager overrides Hall to release the report. And then people were like, this report is stupid. Here's a clip of Anjanette asking city attorney Carl Hall about his property. It's from episode two of The City. Anjanette had discovered that Hall owned a property near the strip club. I finally got Carl Hall on the phone this summer. Carl. Hey, Carl, it's Anjanette. Hey, Anjanette. He was in his city hall office toward the end of the day. I asked him again if he'd do an interview with me. You know, I'm not really inclined to do that. So I just launched into my questions about his property deal in Midtown. I mean, we'd just like to, I guess, understand why it wasn't disclosed during the process. And, um, you know, if the whole story... Why, what? The fact that I own the office building, why that wasn't disclosed to who? To the public. It's a public record. Right? I mean, what's the, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it is public record, and it was on your financial disclosure form. Um, 
But in my discussions with the experts on the state ethics law, um, elected officials are required to disclose potential conflicts of interest in a manner that is sufficient to inform the public. Uh, similar to, you know, I think... Carl Hall is well-versed in the state's ethics law. He's the city attorney. He's at these meetings when council members make these kinds of disclosures. It's his job to tell them when to disclose. But when it comes to his property, he says he just doesn't see the conflict. And I'm not trying to influence them one way or the other. I'm trying to defend their policy decisions. So... Mm -hmm. But as, I mean, do you think council... I don't have a dog in the fight. Well, I, I guess some people might think you do if you own property real close to the club. Well, not anymore. Right, you sold it for a lot of money. Yeah, I think you're trying to make something that's not there, so I'm sorry. Did that office building have any role in his office's work on the policy? I don't think so. You know, none of my reporting really drew some sort of bright line between those two things. Well, but disclose it. And that also, is the law. As a listener, too, you're sitting there and you're like, if you have something to hide, you're not going to talk about it. If you have nothing to hide, then you should be fine talking about it on the record, right? And so as a listener, I felt more distrustful of him not because of anything you were doing, but because of how little he was cooperating with your questions. Yeah, he just got angry and and defensive and was like, this isn't an issue and you shouldn't be asking me about it. At least you were able to get him off the, on the phone. He won't talk to me most of the time. <laughs> he just answered the phone and, you know, Nevada is a two-party consent t- state, so you have to say, hey, can I record this call? And and he said, yeah. Um, you know, that's a little reporter's trick. I always call and say, hey, can we sit down and have an interview? Um and if they say no, I just start asking questions until right. they hang up on me. Um, so in that case, and also, I mean, it's a matter of fairness. Like, this is going to be part of my story, right? This these, this right. property is going to be part of my story. You need to know that. You need to have an opportunity to respond to that. This should be a conversation. Um, so at least, at least he had that chance, I guess. He did get reelected. I didn't quite understand him being reelected, but do you think it's just like people don't care enough or? Well, look at our school board or the border regents. There's a lot of publicly elected people who aren't very well suited for the job or maybe on paper are pretty well suited, but when they get into that position, don't really do a good job sometimes or weird stuff still comes out. Um, I think that's just the nature of these being elected positions in a lot of ways. Yeah, and they're so down ticket. I mean, voters, they're just very low information races. Um, sometimes they don't even get the press coverage that probably they need so that people know who they're voting for. The voters just, you know, there's a lot of drop off down ticket. You know, voters just aren't as educated on who, you know, you ask 10 people walking down the street if they know who their city council person is even, and they might not know, um, let alone that there's a city attorney and that the city attorney is elected. Um, the school board races, same thing. Like the voter turnout in those races are just very low. Um, so, yeah. To me, one of the uh, – another striking point of that – of the podcast is the uh, – literally the word war. You know, you want to go to war. And I remember standing. I was um, – right near Seal. I was, it was at night and I, I looked up and I went, 
holy crap, look at the wild orchid side. And it was all like Carl Hall is (laughs) – they put these custom messages all around their sign. And it was just like sexist. Creepy, creepy, corrupt, corrupt, yeah. and it was all just like directed at Carl Horus of like and I insults. Stood yeah. there, and I t- took pictures of each rotation of the sign just so I could. I'm like, this is crazy. Um, I think that those are gone or have been gone for a while, but those yeah. were up for quite a few months. People were like calling me, like, dude, have you seen the sign at Wild Orchid? <laughs> and you're like, I'm, who hasn't? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah, gonna go get some photos. Ladies, right? No, <laughs> no, it's all directed at Carl Hall. I mean, this is weird. You know, it's like very oddly personal. But I guess you can kind of understand that. Well, it was a very personal fight for Cami Kashmiri and his family. Yeah. I mean, it's personal anytime I think the government is coming after your business. Um, and even more personal because, you know, Cami, as we've kind of seen him develop over the course of the season, used to be this hometown hero, you know, Olympic athlete that's like used to the, you know, just being, you know, on a pedestal um, and then falling off that pedestal and then building himself back up as a business person and, you know, being recognized as such. And then you have this new council with these, you know, outside developers and, you know, California tech businesses, you know, creating this gentrification that's coming after his business. It was very personal for him. And, you know, I I don't know that anybody would accuse their operation of um, having experience as a sophisticated political operation. So, you know, they did what they did best. They have a sign and they want to be provocative with it. It's what they've been doing for years. So I, I love the idea of somebody just going to the thesaurus and just pulling out all of these words and like, we're just going to throw all of them up because we have yeah. the like, that's just what we're going with it. Yep. Yeah, I have a whole list of them in episode six that comes out on I'm Tuesday. Excited. So, I'm ready. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh, I one question I had. So as somebody that really admires sort of investigative work and, you know, going in depth into something, which is something that not a lot of reporters get to do, right? I It's usually like, okay, there's a story and then you kind of have to keep moving forward. What would you say to people interested in investigative journalism or wanting to maybe do investigative podcasting? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to just start with a long-form investigative piece of work, right? Uh, At least in my personal experience, you know, it was um, doing a whole lot of little stories. And that's really where a lot of the best investigative ideas come from, right? It's covering a beat or writing stories about the community and seeing what kind of bubbles up. Um, And yeah, it is difficult when you're in the kind of, you know, press environment that I'm in and this is Reno's and like you are trying to cover a community and that is a lot of work. There's like constant deadlines. It's not like you can write till seven o'clock at night and then, you know, hand your story off to an editor and see it come out in the morning. Like people are expecting this to be to come out constantly. Um, So sometimes it is hard to take a step back or carve out the time that's necessary. And that it's just, it's a balancing act a lot of times where you have to do those daily stories and in the background work to put together one of these larger, larger packages. Yeah. And I imagine that this story took you a lot of time. And so now, now that, now that it's over, the final episode's coming out with perhaps (laughs) a bonus episode. Where, what are you going to do now? I am going on vacation. I, <laughs> I haven't had, I haven't had more than a day off in more than a year. Um, so yeah, I'm going to take a step back and 
relax a little bit and get my feet back under me and see where where we go from here. But there's been there's a lot. Of, that's the other thing is like opportunity costs when you're working on a a long term project like this. There's a lot of things that have come and go that I've had to say no to, which is painful. So I do have a little bit of a list. What's next for the the city and the strip club issue? Mm. That's a good question. Um, and it's something I want to feel out a little bit with some more reporting to see if this has, um, you know, has created any conversation that would make it to the city council level. I don't know. Um, but they did, you know, the city council decided, declined to kick the clubs out of downtown, but they did pass some more strict restrictions on operations. Um, Mark Thierman uh, the lawyer for the Kashmiris is already filing lawsuits against those. So um, they, I think that battle will continue to play out in the courts. And, um, yeah, we'll see where the community conversation goes. Yeah, it seems like kind of circling back to the very first kind of questions, it seems like we still have not quite solved this identity issue. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm no. Not, I'm not sure we ever will. No, I don't think. I mean, Reno never has. If you, you know, if, if you look at Reno's, history it's always been just reinvention after reinvention it's been this you know pendulum as we describe it in in the season um, between vice and respectability when the economy kind of goes down vice is an easy way you know to continue making money for businesses in an economy and then things start looking up and reno's like oh maybe we should start looking at more res- quote respectable ways to earn money or, or run an economy and it, you know it just kind of goes back and forth and that's going to continue, I think. I think to me, I've been in Reno since I guess nineteen ninety. I didn't. I wasn't born here, but um, what I've seen is not some. I mean, yes, there's been concerted efforts like these rebranding things that seem to happen every five years or so. Um, but it seems to me, to your point, what you just said is that the economy almost drives that more so than these. Hey, we don't want to be talk smack about on Comedy Central or the Muppets or whatever. It seems like the economy has a bigger role in that. Yeah, and you know, it's something that I read read about and and put some thought into. And and yeah, I, a lot of times that pendulum swing maps to the economy. Not always necessarily. It's not a perfect thing. But you know, going back even like back to the '30s or even to you know our history as a mining town. Um, you know, rough and tumble Wild West and brothels and game gambling and and then. A university is founded and people are like, oh, maybe we should be a university town. Sounds familiar, huh? Right? Like, oh, we should be more of a university town. I think we're still trying to figure out how to be a university <laughs> town. This it's only the, been, what, 100 years or well, so? Well, 1800s, I know. And it's interesting because all of this has to do with geography, the town-down relationship, the who has what say, you know, mm-hmm. and how – because people love the grit of old Reno. I've only been here a couple of months, um, but I hear constantly people love the grittiness of Reno, the sort of – I don't know how else to describe it, but it's a good word. Grit, yeah. I think grit is a great word for it. And and there, but then people also want it to be this artsy f- community with like ten dollar drink places, right? And and so Reno is in some ways it's a tension. There, there's a tension between old and changing or new, however you want to phrase that. And yeah. like, and I think your podcast really gets at these different layers of Reno. And it's definitely a Reno story, but it's also a more universal American city story. When you look at any um, 
you know, path gentrification takes through neighborhoods or urbanizing, know, urbanizing or different cities trying to change, change their identity or their, their image. So it's fascinating um, to look at from kind of a removed level, but then it's also something everybody in this room in, is living through, right? So it's pretty cool. I think it's fun to watch. People get, I think, bent out of shape about certain things a lot. And you see all these kind of online dramas almost daily. And I, frankly, I get tired of those and try not to engage with them too much. But um, I think it's it's interesting to watch. You know, mm-hmm. coming coming to Reno in 1990 when, it, you know, Hot August Nights was the thing, you know, and casinos were the thing. The river walk was becoming the thing. And we started having these kinds of conversations. But it was pretty gritty back then from oh, what yeah. I remember. I mean, a lot of crime and gang activity mm-hmm. and particularly in the 90s yeah yeah well it was a pretty wild place back then and maybe you guys can speak to this better than i can but even four years ago reno was different than today and and, and it like the change has been happening very very quickly from very my perception yeah. yeah yeah we have three tied businesses together right here that didn't even exist four years ago mm-hmm. yeah i mean i grew up here i wasn't born here um but my family moved here when I was like eight. So, you know, the mid 80s and yeah, growing up, going to school here um, when I was in high school, downtown was like packed. Like that's where you went to like cruise Maine. Yes, <laughs> like, I remember that. You couldn't get anywhere around downtown because there's so many teenagers in their cars, like really just loud stacked. bumping music yeah. and stuff. <laughs> oh, it was oh, yeah, insane. It was crazy. It was bright. The casinos were still all in business that, you know, Virginia Street was just aglow with activity and it doesn't happen and, anymore. And it's so dark now. It's very, very different. Um, but yeah, then, we, you know, the recession crashed us and, and with the housing bubble burst. And in that, it kind of like was this scorched earth, particularly in this neighborhood here, Wells District and Midtown. Um, but that after the fire of the recession, you see these little seeds starting to grow and, you know, coffee shops and Holland Project and um different bars that, you know, local businesses that were able to take advantage of the depressed property values and start. But now we've now to this pass, pass, or, uh, pace of gentrification that you reference is happening so fast. And um, it's a little scary. And both of you have been here for a while now. And one thing that I found really interesting is people that come to Reno, they tend to stay sometimes. Why do you, why do you think that is? I mean, you moved here when you're eight, Bob. You were here since the '90s. I came here for college, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what what about this place? Because yes, it, it's revealing a story that we see at kind of a national level. But I think there is something unique about Reno that keeps people here. That's the reason why the podcast was here. I don't know. Well, if you we're, two. we're at least geographically, we're so close to California, ten miles away, approximately fifteen. Um, and we see what hap- is happening all over the West Coast with these large cities, you know, San Francisco Bay Area, South Bay. I mean, the traffic is horrendous. The cost of living is horrendous. Uh, it's just insane. So they look at a place like Reno and they go, oh, crap, I could retire here or I could sell my house in the South Bay Area for a million bucks, my three-bedroom, two-bath, buy a house outright in Reno for 350000 and not have to work for 10 years. <laughs> so that's a good lifestyle for a lot of these folks that are coming. They come from L.A. too, mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. I and, mean, you know, when I was in high school, we all wanted to get out of Reno. Um, but, yeah, there's just something that captures, I mean, it captured me, certainly. I, um, 
What is that something? Yeah, it's hard to, you know, the size. It used to be you could get anywhere in 20 minutes. That's starting to change a little bit. The outdoor recreation is off the hook, which, you know, I spend all my time doing. You're a three-hour drive from San Francisco if you want city. Um, Lake Tahoe is really close by. Lake Tahoe is amazing. There's just so much that this place offers, you know, to raise a family, to have a fulfilling life I think in a in a town that has has arts has you know ten dollar cocktails if you want them or you know like two dollar shots of Jameson um it's just, yeah kind of has a little gamut yeah 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 biggest little city yeah. any final thoughts no. anything else no? <laughs> I don't think so thank you for having me and thanks for tuning into the city yeah it's yeah. been f- the, the I think I'm on three episodes now. It's been a lot of fun to listen to. It's really, yeah, I, it's really well done, and I I like podcasts that I that kind of hook you in from episode to episode. Um, and I think there's a good local example of something that um, has gone probably international. I would guess. I mean, it's getting a lot of attention. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's. I mean, I, you're a phenomenal writer, so it's brilliantly written, supremely produced. I mean, it's just it's a pretty amazing piece of work. If you haven't listened to it, I would highly recommend checking it out. And so. I do have to do a shout out to the team. Like this was a big team effort. You know, I wrote I wrote all of it. It, it was an awful lot of writing, but there was this whole team of, you know, we had a story consultant and Robin Namer, the executive producer. We have two just brilliant editors, um, investigative editors work for USA Today, um, field producer Phil Corbett, who lives here and helped me with the audio, um, Taylor Macon, uh, Hannes Brown. Taylor Macon does, is a producer that does our social media and outreach, that kind of stuff. And Hannes Brown, amazingly talented composer and audio engineer. Um, so thank you. But again, team effort. The writing wouldn't have been nearly as clear and um, strong without their their help yeah cool well thank you thank you so much that's all for this episode be sure to follow us on itunes google play or wherever you get your podcasts stay tuned for a new series of episodes from carly savage about the women of reno's midtown business district special thank you to kwnk community radio for letting us use their studio Visit them at 97.7 FM or online at kwnkradio.org.